Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, happy Wednesday, friends, and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And today is a very special day in Washington, D.C., because uh, it is a day of prayer that a lot of us with AFA are attending uh, this morning in our own Abraham Hamilton III, who I'm sure you all listen to the Hamilton Corner, is going to uh, be delivering a prayer along with some of our very good friends, um, including my good friend, Congressman Mike Johnson, um, other members of Congress. And this is a really great way to... Uh, pray for our leaders, for our country, as the Bible admonishes. And so uh, please join us this morning in praying for our country and for the direction of the nation. Um, This is one of the most critical times, but we've seen that we've had a lot of critical times throughout our nation's history. And so to say that we are at the most uh, critical stage ever, um, I think may be a little bit of an exaggeration if you look through world history and even the history of America. And the reason I say that is because I don't want you to be discouraged. We have all uh, faced a lot uh, that in our own lifetimes, but we've also faced a lot as a country. And when we are solely fixed on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we turn to him and pray for our leaders and pray for our nation, and we continue to do the work of the Great Commission, which is always teaching the truth of the gospel of Christ until he returns or calls us home, This is our moment, and this is what we can do for our generation, and we can be mindful uh, that we are stewards of the time that God has given us. So don't be discouraged. Be encouraged, regardless of what you see in the headlines, regardless of what the mainstream media would tell you, because God is still on the throne. He is still present. He is still moving, and he is still changing hearts and minds. So it's an encouraging morning here, and even... Uh, more encouraging, I think, is uh, having my good friend David Brody here. He is the chief political analyst at the Christian Broadcasting Network, uh, CBN. I'm sure a lot of you have seen him and know him, and I've been privileged to know uh, David Brody for a number of years, and um, he is a very sincere Christian and just has a lot of really good perspectives uh, from the truth of the gospel of Christ and into the political sphere here in Washington and in the greater culture. So I'm delighted to have him on for the hour today to uh, talk about some really important topics. So David, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Jenna, great to be with you. And I'll, I'm going to put sincere Christian in quotes on my LinkedIn profile. It's changing now as we speak. So thank you, Jenna. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you, you can say, you know, that uh, American Family Radio Network tells uh, David Brody he's a sincere Christian. So, you know, better than some of the things <laughs> I get on Twitter. So I'll, t- I'll tell you that. Um, but but first, so you know, let's talk about kind of this overall perspective and your view heading into 2024, heading into uh, what has become the cultural divide between uh, Republicans, conservatives, Christians in, uh, you know, kind of one end of the the political spectrum and the leftists and the Democrats and the progressives and what we've seen um, this dividing culture. But what I've also kind of seen a tipping point that we are so far 
beyond reality on the left that I think we're kind of coming back to maybe some equilibrium. And I was talking about this yesterday on the show that when you have um, bills like in Utah that are now uh, making transgender surgery on minors illegal, when you have juries that are still willing to come to the correct verdicts, like uh, the Mark Houck situation, you have uh, you know Kyle Rittenhouse, that was a great verdict. And you have some of these pockets of good and of truth uh, where do you think as a culture and as a nation we're headed, David? It's such a great question. And, you know, it's it's interesting because we live in this 180 culture, this non-binary world, if you will. But the truth of the matter is it's actually a binary world and a binary choice that's right in front of us, right? Good versus evil, uh, right versus wrong, uh, absolutes versus moral relativism. You just go down the list. And I think it's becoming more clear than ever. And, and, and I know people are, are, are frustrated and they see all of this and what's your pronouns today. And it's just everywhere. And, you know, I, I've got a, a two granddaughters, one is three. And so you, you think to myself, what in the world kind of world are they going to grow up in? And it, it's just so maddening and so frustrating. And then there's the flip side of it, which is, well, wait a minute. This actually could be a very big opportunity for folks to see what's going on, wake up, uh, as I like to say, kind of get off the couch, put down the Doritos, stop the Netflix, and go to your local school board, go to your local PTA. You know, I remember uh, Pastor Rob McCoy out at Godspeed Calvary Chapel uh, used to say, he, was, he had this great line, he goes, take care of your own bean patch right in front of you. You know, a lot of times we, we get so wrapped up in the, in the national pol- political discussion. But really, it all germinates. It all starts right there at the core, right in front of you in your local hometown, your local PTA, and all of that. So so I think, personally, that what's happening in America today, why it's so disheartening, so frustrating, so honestly angry, and let's be honest, we're, we're angered over it. Uh, we're morally and righteously angered over it. But I think there is an opportunity on the flip side here uh, to begin a process of saying enough is enough. And, and we're not going to take this anymore. The left has gone so far in their binary direction of evil that I think it leaves us with a real opportunity here to do not just good in the world, but kind of to um, right some wrongs, if you will. Uh, but it's going to take effort. I mean, it, you know, in our Constitution, of course, the preamble, it doesn't say we the people uh, for nothing. I mean, it is we the people. Uh, and th- those words matter. And because those words matter, we the people actually don't mean, doesn't mean, as my dad would say, a hill of beans. It doesn't matter at all if we're not exercising the power that comes within that phrase. And And I think that's kind of where I see it today. Yeah, very well said. And I'm talking with my good friend, David Brody, who's the chief political analyst at the Christian Broadcasting Network. And, you know, David, I was reminded of uh, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, and how he describes in Mere Christianity, we have to understand our rights and this kind of binary between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and false, by discerning first our relationship with Christ. And and we only understand relationship when there is a contrast, when there are at least two points on the plane that, you know, for all of the mathematicians and scientists out there, you know, that you have um, that perspective. And, and when you don't have a contrast between humanity and the divine, then you get into this uh, kind of myopic binary that you think, well, whatever I want to determine as reality, I can reinvent 
And this is where the leftists are going. They have this sort of utopian uh, view that will never come to fruition and this kind of socialist mentality that um, humans can be the definition that they prefer of good. And what I think is so interesting from a worldview perspective of that is that because they don't have a contrast between how they define good versus evil, because my truth versus your truth, totally fine. Everybody's truth is permissible and other than Christians, of course, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody's truth is okay. So we no longer have that moral contrast. And, and I think C.S. Lewis was very apt in, in describing that. And so that's where I see Christians having the most effectiveness in calling out these uh, moral pitfalls from the left is to bring it back into a contrast and say, well, wait, how do you define good? And and if that's just whatever I think and whatever you think can be the complete opposite, but both of those things are good, well, then that word doesn't even have any real substantive meaning anymore. Well, that's that's such a great point. There's so so many things to say about that. I mean, just from a political perspective, I mean, if if everything, if if goodness, if you will, is subjective, if truth is subjective, kind of overall, well, then hold on for a second. Then Barack Obama and Bill Clinton, who were for a traditional marriage and now are no, no longer for traditional marriage, what changed? Did, did I did I miss the rewrite in the Bible? Did I miss that? Um, but but what changed is public opinion polls. What changed was their their view of how what will best serve them and and we're getting into now the selfish nature of man but but i think that that kind of speaks to a little bit of what you're saying it also reminds me a little bit of the globalists today you know Paul Revere would would chant and go into every hamlet and say the the British are coming, the British are coming. I would suggest today it's that Paul Revere were around today be saying the globalists are coming, the globalists are coming. And and in essence, if you look at what happened at the World Economic Forum, not to get too broad here, but where was God in that? And that's rhetorical, right? God was nowhere to be found. It's not as a matter of fact. Not only was God nowhere to be found. There was literally a a um, a lather and a and, and a and a disdain for God, and and to the point where it wasn't just secular; it was like secular on steroids at the World Economic Forum. And so, what do we see from that? We see this new mechanism now, where they want to monitor your brain thoughts. I mean, literally, this is not from the conspiracy cookbook here. This is from the World Economic Forum. They've invented this stuff where they want to monitor your brain thoughts because they want to play God. And I think ultimately, you know, that's kind of the dangerous part. That's the scary part. Quite frankly, it's the biblical part, that because we know how the story ends. We know where this goes from a New World Order standpoint. I mean, once again, not conspiracy cookbook. If you think that's conspiracy cookbook, then, you know, we need to open our Bibles and see, hey, it's right from the pages of the Bible, and we're seeing it play out in present-day America and the world, quite frankly. Oh, 100%. And, you know, this, speaking of the Bible, this is the very beginning. And original sin is that man wanted to be like God. And nothing new has happened under the sun. We have just invented different ways to try to excise God from society and say, hey, we can do this on our own. And this is where you get a malleable standard of morality and a a secular definition to truth that truth is subjective because we in our wisdom and humanity can play God and can determine our reality. And so when you're talking, uh, David Brody, about the uh, the standards that continue to change, when you have people like Barack Obama 
and uh, Bill Clinton and Joe Biden, who previously were for traditional marriage and then they changed. Well, it's not that we learned something new about humanity or we said, oh, we sincerely misinterpreted the Bible. It's that we're completely ignoring that and we're saying we have an evolution of a bright line standard of morality and as the culture changes, then so changes morality. And, you know, you and I were talking uh, the other week that I've kind of started to to coin that uh, moral gerrymandering because, you know, all of us in the political Mm. sphere know that gerrymandering is to redraw the district lines to get the outcome in an election that you prefer. And so, you know, if you can have your state draw the district lines to capture as as much of the vote for a particular party um, as you need, and then basically swing an election in, in the favor of your party, it's it's partisan gerrymandering. And there's a lot of um, debate and, and negotiation around that. Um, but we're doing the same thing in culture with the bright lines of moral truth. And as much as we shouldn't draw the district lines to affect a political outcome and say, oh, look, all of these people in this uh, redrawn district just happen to then be of this political party. In the same way, we are redrawing the boundaries and the meets and bounds and the bright lines of moral truth. And so that's how we get to a law and uh, and legislation and Supreme Court decisions and cultural opinions and narratives that are so fundamentally inconsistent with truth and that have also changed and evolved over time. I mean, you know, you just look at the marriage debate, the abortion debate, any of the sexual issues. The only thing that has changed is that people want the legitimate authority of the government to designate that their sin is okay. That's the only thing mm-hmm. that has changed. So how do we, you know, bringing this down then to a more, um, you know, narrow level on the conservative end, I, th- I think you're right that people are so frustrated and feel like they can't really do anything and that they see all these headlines and, and people just think, wow, you know, what, what can I possibly do other than, you know, just making sure I'm taking care of myself and my family? What can we do? So that's the question that we will start with after the break. I'm talking with my good friend, David Brody, who's the chief political analyst at CBN. Stay tuned for more of Jenna Ellis in the morning. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And I'm talking with my good friend, David Brody, who's the chief political analyst at the Christian Broadcasting Network. And we're talking about this malleable standard of uh, right and wrong, good and evil, and how that has shaped our cultural uh, narrative to say that when uh, we can redraw the moral boundaries and say, well, did God really say that is how we get to the laws, the Supreme Court opinions, and the cultural narratives and the advocacy in the mainstream media of things that are fundamentally just wrong. And it is because people want 
the moral legitimacy that comes from the authority of civil government, they want that to designate that their sin is okay. They want the legitimacy of the government. And the interesting thing to me, David, um, is that we know as human beings, we know that there is legitimacy and authority because ultimately um, the truth that is written on our hearts recognizes that we have divine authority, that all authority comes from the person of God. And that legitimate authority has been uh, given in a in limited uh, nature to the civil government, the family government, and the church government. And there is legitimacy to the divine order. And what what still I think is is just so fascinating is that even in the context, if you look at the same-sex marriage decision, Obergefell versus Hodges uh, back in 2015, if the LGBT movement just wanted the tax breaks or, you know, the big weddings and the cakes and all of that stuff, they would not have cared to go to the Supreme Court and get a moral designation on their sin. Mm -hmm. They would have been perfectly fine to just live their lives and say, you know, well, who cares? And, you know, in your face, civil society, I don't care what you think. But they know that they need it legitimized in order to feel better about themselves. Well, and that's right. And specifically to that end, I mean, let's talk about one of the big dangers here, which kind of goes to your point, which is incrementalism. I mean, this is what they do. They're very, they, the left, uh, the cultural Marxists, call them whatever you want. They are very, very good at it. By the way, many people that are left and cultural Marxists don't even realize they're cultural Marxists. They couldn't define what they are. But they sh- we know it uh, from, from an intellectual perspective uh, and from a practical perspective that they are indeed that. And so I mentioned incrementalism. I mean, let's just go back. And I'm not even talking about taking prayer out of uh, public schools in 62 and 63 and Bible reading, all that. I'm talking about specifically the LGBT movement. Uh, I remember back in the day, to, to date myself a little bit, when uh, it was all about civil unions. And it was I remember the argument at the time, oh, just let them have civil unions. It'll be fine. That's all they really want. It, and that, that'll be okay. No. No, that's not all they want. That was the incrementalist step. And civil unions became gay marriage. And then we had the Rainbow White House in 2015. And now we're into transgenderism. And now we're into, well, I don't know, 197, 797 different gender. Who knows what the, the left has concocted? You know, it's like a debt clock. We have to keep looking at the gender clock, how many they've, they've come up with. And, and now we're going into some, some much more scary stuff. And, of course, now we know it's affecting well, we knew it was affecting the kids back then, but it's really affecting the kids today. So, so this is incrementalism. This is what they want to do. And the, obviously the key for them is to codify it all into law, because once you get it into law, it's very hard to kind of, in essence, strip it out of law. But, you know, Jenna, you mentioned something earlier uh, before the break and also a bit after the break about, you know, what can we do as, yes. as Christians? And Because let's be honest, there is a sense that uh, we want to just throw our hands up in the air and, and just say, oh, forget about all of this. But but I, I would suggest here that the problem in the Christian Church today is apathy, and also, very importantly, the, the, where is the fight? Where is the new Black Robe Regiment, not just coming from the pulpits of the day, but from the people and, and the folks in the pews as well? Um, we we saw during COVID a very soft underbelly of the Church, that they weren't ready to fight. And more problematic than just not being ready to fight, uh, there was a sense uh, by, by many of them, I shouldn't say by them, but there was a sense that they were in the follower mode. They weren't leaders. We've lost leadership, not just from a 
Christian church perspective, but in people's own hearts and minds, they're willing to follow, whether it be a media narrative, whether it be um, people that that might not be following God to the way they need to be following God, whatever it happens to be, but but we, we see this especially in the media today, that people are very lazy, people are very—they um, want to follow, and they just—COVID was a perfect example of this, and so they just go ahead and buy into the narrative that's being sold to them, and, and so what do we see? We see people believing in, for example, Barack Obama as this amazing human being. Why? Because he has good oratory skills. But the last time I checked, oh, this just in, he's for partial birth abortion. But Donald Trump is the devil because he's trying to save lives. So what in the world has gotten into us to where we are even at that point that we think that? Well, the answer is, is that we are not intellectually thinking for ourselves. We're not intellectually curious. And we're going along and we're trying to please others by falling into groupthink. And groupthink is going to be the, the, the danger, if not the, 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 the demise of society. And we might not be any better than the Roman Empire at that point. And let's check with George Orwell on all of that, by the way. Yeah, so, so incredibly well said. Uh, David Brody, he's the chief political analyst at CBN. And, you know, I was actually talking on my family thread uh, yesterday about um, the 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 death of the co-creator of Sesame Street. And, um, you know, and that's probably a different direction than people anticipated me heading with that. But, <laughs> um, but what was interesting about it is if you look at the bio – um, is that this particular individual had um, had actually a background and a bachelor's degree um, in clinical psychology and in, a, in experimental psychology from Yale University. And so Sesame Street, um, you know, according to a couple of articles I read, w- was basically a psychological experiment on trying to get um, a rise of entertainment programming that was sold and marketed as educational. And so in uh, Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, had a whole chapter that was dedicated for how terrible Sesame Street actually was for that generation of kids. And he said that it was the worst form of entertainment because it was marketed as education. So kids not only became um, addicted to screens and TV, but also addicted to education, having to have, you know, catchy songs and all of this, and that they were sitting there as just passive consumers instead of actively participating and analyzing in education. And, you know, so when you're talking about um, people just being followers, we've had this whole culture of the rise of media and TV screens and passive Googling things as if uh, just the input of a search term and whatever is returned by, you know, the gods over at uh, big media uh, or big search engine conglomerate, that whatever they say is the answer to a question, we just accept that as truth. And so we, we are a nation largely of followers. And I think even Christians can tend to get into that trap when we go for the cult personalities of pastors, of politicians, or others that we say, okay, this is a person I trust in, you know, some percentage of, of, of what they are championing. And so I'm just going to follow that person and they can do no wrong. And I've seen this even in the Southern Baptist convention. I've seen this with, um, you know, my good friend, John MacArthur, who's a, who's a pastor to me. I know him personally. I love him, but he's not infallible. And I think that's a huge problem. But 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 go ahead, David. 
Well, no, you're, you're, you're so right on, on all of this. I don't even know where to begin. There's so many great points you've made. Um, let's just start with this. And, and we know that the, the number one phrase in the Bible is all about fear not, right? Fear not. So, so if you think about it, that's where this is all coming from. You know, we're fearful of man. We're fearful of what people might think about us if we're going to be not outside the box, but not going along with group think. I think that's a big part of it. Also, as it relates to the media, I think it's important to understand, you know, this didn't obviously happen overnight. And I'm not even talking about the fact that this has been around 10, 20, 30 years, you know, from the Dan Rather days of the 1980s and all that. We can go back to Sam Donaldson and all that. That's not even what I'm talking about. I mean, if you think about it, this has been systematic in our country. Uh, it started at the Frankfurt School. We know about the cultural Marxism uh, that started there in Germany. And let's be honest, because of what Adolf Hitler was doing, and he wanted to get rid of those folks at the Frankfurt School, uh, they moved. And where did they move? Of course, they moved, came to uh, America. They came to California specifically. They came to Berkeley. They infiltrated our um, colleges and universities over there. And then it permeated like an amoeba, kind of osmosis in a way, uh, and by the way, purposeful osmosis, but osmosis nonetheless, and it just started to seep everywhere into our society. And so the tentacles of that uh, went into higher institutions, higher learning, obviously the media, uh, just go on and on. Many of the intellectual, and I say that with air quotes, trust me, when it comes to intellectual, and it's lowercase, it's not uppercase, but you know, you, all of these institutions that all of a sudden define, or at least in modern day American society, define the way that we're supposed to think and act. And, and that's why we're even in the transgender stuff today, right? This idea of like, we'll just accept someone's pronouns because it's their truth. Well, no, it's not. It might be their truth, but it's not God's truth. And I think that's where we have to draw the line. Yeah. And it, and it's, it's certainly not consistent with reality. And so when we're being asked, or in some cases, compelled to speak falsity and to speak something that is not reality, then that goes not only just against self-evident truth, but it then goes against our right in this country, our constitutionally protected right to freely exercise our religion. And and I hope that people are paying attention to how, you know, David, you've gone back in history and you're, you are showing the progression of how these ideas become mainstream. And so for people who are so interested in politics and culture, and we should be as Christians, we should participate in our civil society as good stewards of this great nation that God has given us. We can't be surprised by just looking at what is happening in front of us right now. This this whole sexual revolution and everything around the transgender movement didn't just suddenly pop up out of nowhere. This has been an intentional, as, as you've described it well, David, incrementalism that started back in the 1960s and the groundwork for that even started prior to that. And the worldviews that are implicit in all of these political activities that then become uh, the foundation for cases that are heard at the U.S. Supreme Court don't just arise out of nowhere. And we have to, in order to be good stewards of our culture, we have to be good students of history. We have to know yeah. where we have come from in order to know where we're going and how to best protect and, pres and advance a more perfect union. And we hear so much, so many times we hear the, the term Christian fundamentalism. You know, I would suggest that we should coin a new phrase and call it Christian incrementalism. And, and, and I think it's time for Christians to 
to use, in essence, a page from the playbook of the left and say, you know what, if they're going to play the incrementalism game, which, by the way, if you're a leftist, you know, kudos to you because you, you did well, let's be honest. Well, we've got the numbers. We should have the numbers, uh, especially if we get off the couch and put down the Doritos. And let's start engaging in Christian incrementalism uh, as we move towards what we pray and hope will be a new Great Awakening in this country, because ultimately that's where all of this will change. And honestly, as we know, Jenna, and as you pointed out so many times, I mean, the Great Awakening doesn't start with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, this is not about, (laughs) you know, having folks on the left, you know, come to Jesus. Believe me, that would be a a wonderful thing. It's a splinter effect or uh, a residual effect of the Great Awakening. But that's not where it starts in the Church. It starts with our hearts. It starts with us getting down on our knees. That's where it begins, recognizing that we have fallen short, and we have fallen short. We know we love to point at the left all the time, but the truth of the matter is it starts uh, with uh, believers uh, who who need to come to uh, a reckoning, if you will, with God about uh, the sin in our own lives and the sin in society and what we have done as catalysts in that regard. And the good news here is that when it comes to school boards and the PTA meetings, things I talked about at the beginning, I believe that that specifically is where it's going to uh, germinate and be able to to actually, I don't know how to, how to explain it, to basically be a, a situation where when you have school boards and you have all of this, that's where the parents can make their voices heard, not just from a biblical perspective, a Judeo-Christian perspective, uh, but also from a cultural perspective, because that's where I think you can start to see the roots of incrementalism begin and start to shape a national society. Yeah, and I'm talking with David Brody, who is the chief political analyst at CBN, and that type of incrementalism, we have to move forward with. I mean, so many times conservatism is a defensive posture and we are just trying to conserve and defend and hunker down in our fort and say, you know, don't come any closer, but the left is always advancing and they are encroaching. And so we need to move the needle and move the ball forward to say we are going to start retaking some of these institutions. And we do, as you very aptly said, we need to make sure that first and foremost, it's our own institutions that God has given to us to steward, like families and like churches. Do we really think we are going to be salt and light in the political sphere if we aren't even responsible for our own houses, if we aren't responsible for being good members of our church and our families, and if we don't even have uh, the right biblical perspective in our own party? And David Brody, at the flip side of the break, I want to talk to you about just that because the Republican Party, which you know most of us would <laughs> align with, um, they have some real problems. And you know, I get a lot of criticism of, oh, this is infighting, and you know, don't call out our, our aren't the Democrats, you know, doing enough? We need to not call out the members of our own party. But I say no, because if we are seeing sin being advanced within the lines of our own Republican Party then we have a lot of work to do in-house first. So I'm talking with David Brody, and we will be right back with more of Jenna Ellis in the morning. Speaking truth. With love, this is Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
talking with my good friend David Brody, who's the chief political analyst at CBN, not to be confused with the chief political analyst at CNN. Uh, I was <laughs> I was laughing with David before the show today that I was like, wait, isn't that the same title that Adam Kinzinger has now over at <laughs> CNN? So be, be sure that you do not confuse uh, David Brody and his title because... The, the spectrum could not be more opposite. You have David, who is a wonderful, sincere Christian, intellectual, been uh, you know a really excellent journalist and in politics for thirty plus years, and then you have Kinzinger, who just cries all the time. So, um, <laughs> so, so we want to make sure that we're correct. It's the chief political analyst at CBN. Uh, but before the break, David, um, you know we were talking about this idea of infighting. Uh, within our own party, um, which is the broader swath of conservatives. But I think it's important that when we're talking about Christian incrementalism, which is a great term, uh, we need to be very careful that we are not supporting ideas in our own party that are fundamentally inconsistent with truth. And what really alarms me about the forward trajectory of the current Republican Party is that you have people like Ronna McDaniel, you have people like Rick Rennell, you have people like Carrie Lake, even people like Donald Trump, who are okay, by and large, with the LGBTQ movement. And I was very uh, disappointed that Ronna McDaniel has tweeted out on, you know, the first day of Pride Month, which is you know, basically become like, you know, pride year, you have you have that meme that it's just thrusting the rainbow down everybody's throats, which, um, which we need to reclaim the rainbow. That's a symbol. I think they're using intentionally to mock God in, uh, in the, the wake of, of Genesis six and seven. But, um, you know, as we look at our own conservative party, and you look at the the RNC chair race, for example, and you look at how a lot of people were very discouraged that Ronna McDaniel is um, was reelected by a really large margin for another two-year term. Um, how do we navigate that as Christians? Well, uh, yeah, good, good, I guess the short answer is good luck with that. I mean, it's not easy, <laughs> uh, clearly. And, and why isn't it easy? Because we've got a deep state, we've got uh, term limit issues, we've got, a, a, you know, a swamp and all of that stuff that we've heard you know, kind of as Seinfeld would say, yada, yada, yada. Um, so so we've, we've got all of that. And, and, and I want to do a quick disclaimer here. I, I do think there is room for, how do I say this, the Ronna McDaniel types in the party, the ones that might be, she's an excellent fundraiser, let's be honest. I mean, she, you know, there, there, she there, there's a role kind of like the body of Christ, right? I mean, everybody can have a role in the greater good here. Um, so, so I think there is some credence to, to to that philosophy. Having said that, back to moral gerrymandering, as you as you, uh, you coined the term, you've come up with this, which is so true. What what do we do? Where's our line in the sand? And I think we saw that play out on the Kevin McCarthy situation to a degree. Now, look, I know Kevin McCarthy personally. I know his family. I've been to his home. I mean, he's not a bad person. He's a good guy. I mean, he, he just is a good guy. Now, what does good guy mean? Well, I think to, in today's Republican Party, there is a difference as to or a different definition to different people as to what a good guy means. I mean, in other words, he's not a bad apple. I mean, he's not like, you know, some sort of leftist that's trying to change America for good. He's not that guy. He's not Adam but, Kinzinger you know, of CNN. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so so the, the problem is, is that um, and look at McCarthy now. He's starting to deliver on some of the stuff, but he had to be pushed. And I think that's the point, right? We need to push people in the direction 
that needs to be that, that has moral delineation. And I, and I think that's the challenge for those on I don't want to call it the the, the right, if you will, right flank, because I hate labels. But you know, the ones that are are true to their biblical positions, and and so we cannot waver. And I think you saw that in the Kevin McCarthy fight. Uh, you had the ten percent, and, and in this case, they were it was more of the populist crowd. It was more of the you know the Lauren Boberts and the Matt Gates who were looking for certain things, which is great. But if we can do that from a biblical perspective, we need to be the 10 percent. I mean, we need to be the 10 percent who turns into 15, 20, 25 percent, because ultimately it's that uh, the dogmatic approach that's going to win the day because we have to keep it up. And look what happened with that 10 percent, the the Boverts and the Gates of the world. They won. Let's be honest. It was messy. It was ugly. The optics weren't good. They looked a little crazy at times. All true. But they got what they wanted. Didn't they? They they got they they're able to hold McCarthy accountable. So how do we do all of that from a moral gerrymander? Excuse me, gerrymander. I can't even say a moral. Sorry, it's early. I've had seven drinks. Just kidding. That's a joke. Um, Cups of coffee. From a moral perspective, how do we do that? And I think that's the challenge for Christians going forward, especially congressional uh, congressional politicians. Uh, that hold uh, Jesus up as number one in their lives. Yeah, and I'm talking with David Brody, who's the chief political analyst at CBN. And, you know, you raise a really great point that the 10%, the extreme minority, can still be effective in a nation that is run by we the people. And that's part of the system. And, And, I mean, if we look just to America's founding, I mean, this wasn't the vast majority of people in the nation at the time were not the founding fathers. I mean, you know, there was, you know, about 50 that really stood strong, that debated at the Constitutional Convention, and that gave us the best political system across world history. And so that you can be in the very, very, very small minority and still be very effective. And that is encouraging because we do need to stand firm and we do need to Uh, not just pick our battles in the sense of, well, these issues are more important than those issues, but just simply stand firm. I mean, I, I look at the example of Daniel in the Bible, that when confronted with this uh, tyrannical edict of his day, and you know his um, basically Joe Biden, you know King Nebuchadnezzar, mm-hmm. uh, that was yeah. mandating and had this edict that you can no longer pray and you know worship anyone other than than the king. Well, David uh, Daniel rather did not just, you know, go out and start these, you know, mostly peaceful protests. He didn't go and say, well, I'm just one person and so I'm going to get discouraged and I'm just going to go along with it and, um, you know, try to fight my battles other ways. What did he do? He just did Mm -hmm. what God had commanded him to do to continue praying as he did every day prior to that. And he didn't stand up, but he didn't stand down. He just simply was faithful. And that then became the catalyst for change. And I think there's a great lesson for us in the biblical models and examples of how God is faithful to us when we simply stand firm. And so what does that look like in your life? Does that look like, well, um, you know, I'm going to stand up at 
a school board meeting like you were suggesting, David? Does that mean I'm going to Mm -hmm. contact my legislators? Does that mean I'm just going to be faithful as a homeschool mom? Does that mean I'm going to be faithful as a dad who is engaged in my church? Does that mean I'm going to be faithful in the midst of, you know, my relationship until marriage? Does it look like, um, you know, in my life, I'll give you an example. I have uh, not gone back to CPAC, which is, you know, a, Mm -hmm. um, a conservative uh, conference because they will allow the LGBT agenda to come in and you have the MAGA drag queens and you have, you know, some of these other things that, that are just simply fundamentally inconsistent with the biblical mm-hmm. worldview. And I've just said, I don't need to go there as much as there could be networking, there could be other things. I'm going to stand firm and say, I can engage in the political sphere in other conferences and other ways that I need to decline some opportunities that the whole scope of what's going on is fundamentally inconsistent with the truth of the word of God. And so when, yeah. when we look, David Brody, at the, the scope of how we can engage not just politics, but our culture, our church, our family, that will look different depending on what opportunities God has presented you with. But it also means that we need to be responsible to listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives and acting on the commands of the Bible. Because just like we were talking about at the very beginning, when we say, okay, thus saith the Lord over, um, I want to be like God, that has been the battle for truth since the Garden of Eden. Yeah, um, there, there's a battle out there. It will look different to different people, but I will say this. Here's the one consistent, and here's how you'll know if you're making progress. And you ask yourself this question, did it cost me something? And, and I think if it costs you something, then you're on the right track. And I, I think that's just the bottom line. You, you know, if, if, it, if it costs you something that might be important to you as it relates to you're giving something up for the greater good, for his good, with a capital H, for the truth of the gospel, of the Bible, then that's a good thing, and that's a good day. And even though it might not in our secular, not secular, but in our human humanistic approach to life at times, you know, we need to understand that if we're taking a backseat to God's truth, that is a good thing, and if it costs us something in the process, that's okay. And you mentioned Daniel, and it's such a great example. Daniel, not only when when the the king, King Biden, if you will, um, when the king said, uh, don't pray, what did he do? He prayed, and he prayed more. And what did he also do? He went to the window to pray. He looked outward to pray. Uh, He made a signal, uh, not not, not a selfish signal, but a signal to, to say, you know what, not only am I going to pray, but I'm going to go to the window to pray and specifically be able to, in essence, shout it from the rooftops. And I, and I think that kind of coming back to the RNC and the political aspect of all of this, I think that's exactly what we as Christians need to do. We need to stand firm, shout it from the rooftops, and not be afraid, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, why? Because of Jesus Christ So and what he did for us on the cross. So I think it's all connected. And if you think of Ronald McDaniel, just real quick, I, I thought about something about McDaniel. Think about it. I mean, 168 members, I know, I think it was 167 this time around, but 168, 168 RNC members. I don't know what she had last time. I'm assuming she had pretty much 168 or close to that. The bottom line is she went from a big number, 168 or whatever it was, to about one, what was it, 111? The point is, is that incrementalism uh, in a negative way. Something is in the water. You know, it, it, you know see, I said water because I'm from New York. See, that, those are the two <laughs> words, Jenna. Water, and can I take your order? And people see that I'm from New York. 
But the point is, is that we talk about incrementalism. Well, I think we're seeing incrementalism within the Republican ranks, that there is something in the water uh, when it comes to uh, the disconnect between the GOP establishment, the swamp, the national establishment, and the grassroots level. And we saw that in the numbers from 168 for Ronna McDaniel back in the day to 111 now with Harmie Dillon. And I think that has to be a big-time warning sign that people are starting to stand up, rise up. We saw it with the McCarthy fight. We saw it to a degree with the RNC. The result wasn't great at the end of the day, but that doesn't mean that progress isn't being made. That's a really encouraging perspective because I think a lot of us, if we don't see the result the first time around, uh, well, you know, hey, McCarthy didn't see the result for like, what, 15 <laughs> cycles of votes, but he got there. And that was that was incrementalism the other way. Right. So we do need to um, be OK with having the fight be slower than we might like, but seeing that progress that is made and, and standing up where we can. And how does that look, um, David Brody, with a forward thinking view of 2024? Um, You know, yesterday I had uh, the, had callers and and a ton of people called in about the Trump versus uh, DeSantis potential fight. And it was interesting to me that in the callers that we did get to, almost 50-50 along the lines of either pro or anti-Trump, not really pro or anti-DeSantis, but the common thread, and you know, the, most of the American Family Radio Network, of course, are Christians, and we all share that fundamental perspective. So the common thread was that the people want leadership. And so the perspective of the leadership of America in the office of the presidency that, you know, our highest uh, magistrate, as Alexander Hamilton suggested in Federalist 68, our chief magistrate, their perspective depended on whether or not they view Donald Trump as a righteous leader or not. And I think that was really fascinating. What do you think? Well, uh, boy, where do I begin? And I've got dinner plans tonight at 7 p.m. and we've got a wrap. <laughs> so I, I, I could go <laughs> I could go 11 and a half hours on this. But but I'll just say, I think. Oh, and we will until 2024. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a lot of legitimacy in the obviously in the righteous leader aspect. Now, we we, you know we know that Donald Trump has the record of accomplishment from a from a righteous uh, biblical perspective as it relates to uh, laws and executive orders and uh, you know soapbox uh, stuff that he stood on. So 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 we know that that he's delivered the good. That 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 is that is for sure. I you wonder in 2024 if it's too much uh, water uh, in the boat. You you wonder how much can people kind of deal with. I mean, you know, you know, my argument has always been: look, Donald Trump has not not been this. Uh, you know, we know he's a flawed individual with a capital F L A W E D. I mean, we we know that. But evangelicals voted for him anyhow in 2016, um, giving him grace and then seeing that he delivered on his results. And, and now he's the most pro-life president in American history, which just proves that God has a sense of humor, by the way, that Donald Trump is that person. Uh, so, so, so look, he, he's got the track record and, and all of that. Then came the first impeachment, witch hunt, second impeachment, witch hunt. Okay, that's fine. January 6th, issues there, the whole thing. But you, you st- and once again, we kind of get back to the following aspect. You know, are people buying into the mainstream media narrative, uh, liberal media narrative on every single thing? And I think there might be a tired factor in all of this, people. And um, part of it I understand. Part of it I think is the following nature, sadly, of people. But I think it all adds up to what you just said, which is, is there going to be this 
kind of righteous leader they see in Trump this time around. I would argue that he has the track record. He's pro- he has the receipts, if you will, and he's done it. So Promises uh, made, promises it's kept. A- yeah, and with DeSantis, it's unknown, and I, and that gets me into DeSantis. And listen, don't get me wrong, great governor of Florida, you know he's great against the media. And, and we'll have to wrap thing. it there, but this is an ongoing conversation, David Brody, and we will be back with more tomorrow on Jenna Ellis in the morning.